Awesome, man. Thank you, Brother Bill. That's some, that's some good singing, man. Isn't that great? Yeah. Boy, I love that song. Fantastic. Give them a big hand. You bet. You bet. Wow. Good to see you today. Glad uh, for those of you who are in person, and I welcome those online. Uh, good crowd this morning. Wow, look at the balcony people. Wow, man. All, the, all you people on the floor, give the balcony people a big hand, would you? That's good, man. Good to see you guys up there. Welcome. Well, a few years ago, there was a TV series. It didn't last very long, I think two seasons. And the name of the series was The Buried Life. It was about these four guys in their 20s, and they made a list of the 100 things they wanted to do before they died. And so during the series of the shows, they would go out and they would accomplish these things that they've always wanted to do. And along the way, they would help others achieve their dreams. The tagline for the show was a question. What do you want to do before you die? And the name of the show, The Buried Life, actually comes from a poem written by Matthew Arnold in 1852. And the idea is that day-to-day stuff can sometimes bury you and make you forget what you're passionate about. Isn't that true? Well, as followers of Jesus, what we should be most passionate about is being on mission with God. I mean, we need to get passionate about what God is passionate about. And what is that? Well, it's winning people. God loves people. God loves the nations of the world. Therefore, we have for the sixth Sunday in a row our mission statement at Kavanaugh Church. So would you humor me by standing up again? I mean, y'all are going to get your exercise this first service, aren't you? We're going to read our mission statement aloud one more time and read it from the heart this time really loud. Here we go. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission is to win people to Christ, to train believers to become disciples, and to send disciples out to impact the world. Amen? Yeah, let's hear it for that. That's great, great mission statement. Thank you, and with that, you can be seated. We've been basing our mission statement on the story of Jonah, and today we're going to end that series. Six sermons in Jonah. Today's the last sermon. Uh, we've, we've, we've ridden this horse about as long as we can ride her, and today we're going to put her up. Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Now, the book of Jonah is different from any other prophetic book in the Old Testament. Uh, with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, you have the story of these men who obeyed God explicitly. I mean, God said, go to a certain place, and you know what? They went to that place. God said, preach a certain message, and they preached that message exactly the way God gave it to them. Not so with Jonah. Not so with Brother Jonah. He ran from the call to be on mission with God. And then finally, when Jonah obeyed, it was half-hearted. He he really didn't want to do what God called him to do. So there is still a whole lot of work that needs to be done in Brother Jonah's heart. His obedience is not coming from a changed heart. No, Jonah is compliant, but Jonah is not committed. And folks, can I tell you, there is a huge difference between those two. 
So here we go. We're going to read Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read all 11 verses and look at me. No points to my message today. This is a pointless message. <laughs> what we're going to do is read the 11 verses. Then I'm going to go back and through and exegete each verse. We're going to talk about each verse individually. Don't worry. You think, oh, that's going to take all morning. No, you know you're going to be out of here by 10 o'clock, don't you? All right, so don't worry about it. Let's just get into it and enjoy it. Here we go, chapter 4, there's 11 verses. Verse 1 says, but, okay, but it displeased Jonah. What is the but all about? Well, if you'll remember last week in chapter 3, he did preach that message, and the entire city of Nineveh repented of their sins, right? And then God, because of their repentance, God relented and did not send the disaster that he said he was going to send. Okay? So God's anger was stayed and the people lived. But, chapter 4 begins, all of that displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became, there's the word, angry. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a little shelter, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his bald head. Oh, excuse me. For his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself, and he said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, Jonah, you've had pity on the plant for which you did not labor nor make it grow, which came up in a night, and then it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and a whole lot of livestock? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word today. May the Holy Spirit speak it inside of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I don't have points to my message, but I do have a lot of questions. In fact, if, if I had the opportunity right now to sit down with Brother Jonah over a cup of coffee, I would ask him probably five questions that I've considered studying 
this entire story, and in particular, chapter 4. What are the questions? Question number one, Jonah, what could possibly have caused you to disobey Almighty God? I mean, really, what was it that caused you to disobey God throughout the entirety of this story? Question number two, Jonah, how can you know so much about God and be so little like God? Let that one sink in just for a second. Number three, Jonah, how can you be so unmerciful when God has shown you so much mercy and grace? Jonah, why in the world did you get so mad? Didn't you... Remember the word anger in there? It's repeated numerous times. And then question number five, Jonah, how could you have been more concerned for trivial matters like a little plant that you didn't even plant than you have for eternal matters like 120,000 people dying and perishing and going to hell? Those are the five questions I would like to ask Brother Jonah, but you know what? I don't have to ask him those questions. They are found in chapter four. The answers are found in chapter 4. So let's just dive in, shall we? We're just going to look at it verse by verse, beginning in verse number 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. The word but creates a contrast for us. What contrast? Well, between God's compassion in chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10, and Jonah's displeasure. In chapter 4, verse 1, the contrast is between God's turning from his anger at the end of chapter 3 and Jonah turning to anger in chapter 4, verse number 1. And the next verse gives us the answer to one of our questions, the first one. Jonah, what caused you to disobey Almighty God? The answer comes in Jonah's prayer to God, which is found in verse number 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from even doing harm. Jonah, an object of God's compassion, has absolutely no compassion for the people of Nineveh. Do you see that? Jonah, a recipient of God's grace and mercy and loving kindness, has absolutely no grace, mercy, or loving kindness for the people of Nineveh. That somewhat coincides with question number three. How can you be so unmerciful when you have been given so much mercy by God himself? But you know what? We know now what Jonah was thinking when he disobeyed God. We see it right here in Scripture. Remember the deal? Jonah, what in the world were you thinking? What would cause you to disobey Almighty God? Was it afraid? Was it because you were afraid to leave your family? No, that wasn't it. Was it because it cost too much money to go to Nineveh? No, because he paid a tremendous price to go to Tarshish. Was it because it was too far to travel? No, Tarshish was much farther away than Nineveh was. Well, then what in the world could you have possibly been thinking that would have caused you to disobey Almighty God? Well, he... We see it from his own lips in, in chapter 4, verse 2b. 
Read this out loud with me, okay? I want you to read this and, and notice what he is saying about God here, all right? Read it out loud. Here we go. Three, two, one. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Wow. Jonah knew that about God. Jonah knew this equation. He knew the spiel. This phrase that Jonah quotes is repeated numerous times in Scripture. What Jonah just said about God is a biblical truth we see through the entirety of the Bible. And Jonah knew that. I mean, Brother Jonah was sitting in church one Sunday morning when his preacher preached a sermon from the Pentateuch where God revealed himself to Moses. And he was preaching from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And the preacher said, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and is faithful. Jonah heard his preacher preach that. Jonah was sitting in Sunday school class the Sunday morning when he heard about Moses interceding for the Israelites in the wilderness. And the Sunday school teacher referred to Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, and said, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving in sin and rebellion. Jonah was in men's Bible study. When they were going through the book of Nehemiah and they had that great revival and the people confessed their sins and this is what Nehemiah prayed in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them. Jonah was at Wednesday night prayer meeting when they were studying the book of Psalms. And he heard the preacher talk about Psalms 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you see it? Jonah could recite the party line. Jonah knew these facts about God. He knew the, all the answers about God. He knew everything there is to know about God. He just didn't have a heart like God's heart. And that goes back to question number two, Jonah. How can you know so much about God but be so little like God? That, that, is, that is a question that has just blown my mind, I think, all of my ministry. Because I've pastored people, and I'm looking to you because you know who I'm talking about here. I've pastored people who have been... They have been a walking Bible concordance. They know the word of God. But then when push comes to shove, that's not what comes out of them. Sometimes they act so unlike God that it's mind-boggling. Where have you been every Sunday morning? You say you read the Bible every day, but let me tell you, you sure aren't acting like it. Oh, I shouldn't talk about people, should I? Let me turn around and tell you, tell you a good story. Uh, Paul Cho pastored the, the world's largest church in Seoul, South Korea. And during the, the early days when his church was really starting to grow, he told God, he made a promise to God, I will preach anywhere 
in the world except Japan. Why? Because he hated the Japanese. He hated the Japanese troops for what they did to his country, Korea, and specifically to his family during World War II. And, and, and he refused to go there. He said, God, I'll go anywhere but there. To, to him, the Japanese were just like the Ninevites were to Jonah. Are you, are you getting me here? Well, guess what? One day, Pastor Cho felt like God wanted him to go to Japan. <laughs> and he argued with God. He said, God, I'm not going there. But, you know, God just, just kept pressing it upon his heart until finally he relented and he went, but he went with great bitterness. His very first speech, speaking engagement was to 1,000 Japanese pastors. And he had the material right in front of him. He stood up, but yet he did not read what was written on the page. This came blurting out of his mouth. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Because that's the way he really felt. But God got a hold of his heart, and he just broke down, and he started weeping, and he sat down on the stage. And an interesting thing happened. All 1,000 of those Japanese pastors lined up in single file, and they passed in front of Pastor Cho, and they placed their hand on him and said, we are sorry for what has happened between your country and our country, but we love you. All 1,000 of them said that. And God broke his heart. God broke his heart, and so he stood back up, and you know what he said this time? I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love you. What? What, Brother Jonah? Let's see what Jonah said. Chapter 4, verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Really? I mean, do you see what Jonah is saying here? He is saying, I would rather die than give up my hatred for these Ninevites. I'm certainly never going to change, so God, just take my life. You know what that is? That's pitiful. <laughs> that, that is pitiful. And so God just doesn't let Jonah stay that way. God confronts Jonah. Look at verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Now, let's just do a quick time out, and let's spend a minute talking about Jonah's anger issues. Because back in verse 1, it says that Jonah became angry. The Hebrew word there means he became hot. Let, let that sink in for a second. I mean, he was, he was hot at God for not acting the way Jonah felt like God should act. And so what does Jonah do? He sulks. He doesn't even reply back to God. He's acting like a little baby, a little child. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So here's Jonah tracking up on a mountain east of the city. He sits down and he builds this crude little shelter. Apparently the, the sun was shining and it was hot and so he made himself a little shade to sit in. It, it wasn't a very good shelter. We'll see that in a moment, but it was a shelter and he sat down. Apparently he had a clear view of the city. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world did he do that? 
mean, why did he go up there and just sit down? I don't know. Maybe he was holding out hope that God would relent from relenting and that God would finally do what a righteous and just God would do, and that is annihilate those dirty Ninevites. I think he's just sitting up there waiting to see what would happen, to see if God would indeed judge the people. Okay, let me, let me take a big breath for what I'm about to say. Because we're hearing a whole lot of it right now in our society. It's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's on the news. It's at every sporting event. This thing called racism. You know what? I mean, this is just me, so I'm going to stand over here when I say it. It's just Will Harmon. I think there's a little bit of racism in all of us. When, when, when other people are not just the way we are or the way we think, we're threatened by them. And, but can I, here's what I want to say, and I'm standing behind the pulpit when I say this. Jonah was a racist. I don't, I don't care how you think about it or what you say about it. I mean, it, the fact is, he was a racist. He did not want to go to Nineveh to begin with because he knew that God was going to have mercy on his enemies. He, he did not want their repentance. He wanted their destruction. And so he goes outside the city, and he's just sitting up there on the mountain sulking. And he's mad at God. Ray, as I was studying this this week, it, it, it made me think of another story found in Luke chapter 15. We call it the story of the prodigal son. Here's this young kid who wants his daddy's inheritance, and he wants it right now, and so daddy gives it to him. He goes off to the far country, and he wastes all that money on wild living. And after it's all spent, he, he's living with the hogs. He has absolutely nothing and no friends. And he realizes the servants back home have it better off than I have it. And so he makes that journey back home. And what does he find when he gets home? His daddy is waiting for him. In fact, his daddy runs out to where he is. His daddy puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger. He kills the fatted calf, and they have a celebration because the daddy's son who was away is now home. That's great, but you know what? Standing in the wings is the older brother. We, we forget about that older brother, but there's a bigger story there with the older brother than with the young son. And he gets mad at his daddy. And he says, Daddy, you never even killed a goat for me and my friends to have a party. What's up with this? And he is so mad because of his daddy's grace and mercy that he will not go into the house. He just stands outside and he sulks. Just like Jonah is outside of Nineveh, the elder brother sulks outside of the father's house. Why? Because neither one of them like God giving mercy to other people. Apparently they want it all for themselves. Wow. You know, here's the cool thing. God doesn't give up on brother Jonah. Jonah is out there wallowing in self-pity and self-interest, but, but God is still trying to teach Jonah a lesson. And, and really, that's the point of discipleship. 
We're trying to train believers to become disciples, true followers of Jesus Christ. So God prepares this little illustration for brother Jonah. Jonah needs to see his own self-centeredness. And so God prepared another experience for Jonah to teach him and also to discipline him. And church, I want you to wake up right now and pay attention to this. Because this is a very important part of this story. God is speaking all around us. God is speaking to us every single day. His creation is crying out to us all the time in the form of general revelation. But there are times that God manipulates circumstances to speak to you directly. He's got something to say to you, to teach us a lesson. It's like when we're driving in the car and all of a sudden this song comes on the radio and we're thinking, where'd that come from? Why? Because that song speaks directly to us. It's like when we see this great, beautiful sunset at just the right time that we need to see it happening. It's like a friend who calls you unexpectedly to encourage you at just the time you need it. You think, well, just coincidence. No, it's not. It's God doing that. Well, God does something really kind for Jonah. He does it to teach him a lesson. Jonah's crude little shelter that he built is not doing a very good job. It reminds me of something that I would have built. (laughs) I don't know what he built it out of, maybe branches, I don't know. But it's not doing a very good job keeping the sun off of his head. So God helps him out. Look at verse number 6. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. And Jonah was very grateful. I mean, he was exceedingly grateful for the plant. Now, this is amazing to me. I I can't get over this. The, The God who produced that wind in chapter 1. Remember that? The God who hurled the wind out of heaven that hit the sea, that hit the boat, that put it in turmoil. The same God that spoke to that giant fish and said, swallow that disobedient prophet. The same God who then again spoke to the fish three days later and said, spit him up on ground. It is that same God who is in control of all nature now speaks to a seed and says, I want you to grow a vine, a plant, and make it shade for my prophet Jonah. You see, God can do that. And Jonah's delighted. He's relieved that once again God has rescued him from this terrible situation. <laughs> oh, but you know what? Things can change just like that, can't they? And it changes. Look at verses 7 and 8. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a. Oh, it hit me last night. It hit me last night. I need to do another sermon entitled. The well and the worm. (laughs) Are you seeing this? I mean, God God spoke to that well, the largest mammal on the face of the earth, and said, I got a job for you. The mammal said, yes, sir, God. Yes, sir. Don't you all like that? Yes, sir. Arkansas Razorbacks like that right now. (laughs) Yes, sir, I'll do it. 
and he swallowed him. And now God is speaking to a what? A little bitty worm. And the worm says, yes, sir. Oh, to be like a whale or a worm. Huh? So the Lord prepared this worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared an east wind. No, not just an east wind, a vehement east wind. It was, it was, I don't know, 40, 50 miles an hour, West Texas wind. That's what I'm going to call it. And it was hot. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, can you see this? Do you get this picture? Jonah is delighted when God gave him relief in the form of the vine. But when that is taken away, when God doesn't act the way Jonah thinks God should act, Jonah gets angry again. Verse number 9. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, It is right for me to get angry, even to death. So, all of this comes full back to the big issue that God wants to deal with in Jonah's life, and that is his anger issue. God is still dealing with Jonah's anger. And the Lord drives home his point in a very powerful way. I want you to look at verse number 10. The Lord said, Jonah, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. It came up in the night and it perished in the night. And look how you're reacting. I think what God is trying to say is this, Jonah, just think about what's happened. That plant came up so quickly, it came up overnight, and then it died so quickly, and, and you feel so bad about it, and you didn't even have anything to do with the plant. What, what if you were the gardener who cultivated the soil, who planted the seed with your own hands, who watered it, labored over it, tended it, watched it grow, only to see it wither and die? How would that make you feel? I mean, if you're this upset and you didn't do anything to cause this plant to even grow, how much worse would it be if you really did labor over the plant and then you saw it die? And he said, Jonah, listen, that's the way I feel about Nineveh. Because look at verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? And which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and then a whole lot of livestock that goes on top of that. So he's referring back to this great city, this evil city, Nineveh. It was an overwhelming city. You go to that city and you were literally overwhelmed. Remember last week we talked about the walls, two concentric walls, the first wall 50 feet wide, 100 feet tall. This was an enormous city. And you know what? Sometimes when you go to big cities, they're just overwhelming. Tried to drive through Atlanta or through LA or through just being in a cab in New York City will scare you to death. 
I mean, they're so overwhelming to us. They, they scare us. They blow our minds. But what God is saying is this. You know what? Sometimes you get overwhelmed in the bigness of the city. You don't realize what is making that city so enormous. It's people. Individual people. And that's who God loves. God loves people. God is compassionate for cities. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, that sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's how God felt about Jerusalem, and this is how God feels about Nineveh. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, Jonah, who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God is saying, Jonah, Jonah, don't you see this? These are just people down there, and they don't know what they're doing. They're like little kids that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Should I not be concerned for them? Should I not have compassion on them? And then, look, it just ends. I mean, that's it. Nothing else is said. Story over. <laughs> and, and so it makes me go back to these five questions I started with. Question number one, Jonah, what could, what could possibly have caused you to disobey Almighty God? Jonah, how can you know so much about God and be so little like God? Jonah, how can you be so unmerciful when you have been shown so much mercy? Jonah, what in the world could have possessed you to be so angry towards the Ninevites and God? Jonah, how could you have more concern for trivial matters like a plant than you do for eternal matters, the souls of men and women? And then it dawned on me. Those are really, Al, those are really not questions I need to ask Jonah. Those are questions I need to ask Will. <laughs> Those are questions for me. They're questions for you. You need to answer those questions. And we can sum up Jonah's problem like this. Jonah didn't have a heart like God's heart. He had a head full of knowledge about God, but he didn't have a heart like God. And I keep hearing God's voice saying, should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about that one soul that needs salvation? So Will, get over your anger issues. Get over your racism. Get over whatever it is that is keeping you from doing what I made you to do. And that is to win people to Christ. To train believers to become disciples. And to go back out into your world and be a light for me. Amen. And if I had a mic, I'd just drop it right there.
Story over. So, so what, where, where does this leave us? I think it leaves us right here. Church, listen to me. Online people, listen. Those in person, listen. If your heart is not like God's heart, you need to get your heart right today. Whether it be through salvation or through rededication, you need to make sure your heart is like God's heart. You need to make sure that you're on mission with God. And then, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging our church. Let's get out and win people to Christ. Here's my challenge to you. Take the good news, take the message to one person a day. My challenge to our church, every one of you, I don't care who you are, my challenge to you is this. Every day, talk to somebody about Jesus. You can do it. You just wake up in the morning and say, God, give me somebody to talk to. And then you just look for the opportunity. God's going to give you somebody to talk to. I, don't have no, I have no idea what to say. Don't worry about that. God's going to give you something to say. You just need to open your mouth. But the common line that I like to use to people is this. Has anybody ever told you that God loves you and has a purpose for your life? But you, you would not believe the conversations that that leads into. It doesn't matter what you say. You just need to be talking to people every day about Jesus. The only way this church is going to grow is when you get out there on the streets and start sharing the good news of the gospel. And you're mandated to do it. God loves people. God loves the River Valley. God loves the people in your neighborhood that you work with, the people you associate with. And God is using you to get the good news out to them. So today, two things. Number one, make sure your heart is right. And number two, accept this challenge. Say, Lord, with your help, every day I'm going to talk to at least one person about you. Would you stand to your feet right now? Everybody stand up. Again, we can't use the altars, uh, but make an altar right there where you are. And make this commitment. Even those of you watching online, make this commitment. Lord, I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you all that there is of me. And if you're here or listening today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, very simple to do that. Just confess your sins and confess him as Lord of your life and invite him into your heart and you too can be saved. Commit your heart to the Lord and then say, Lord, help me. Every day I want to share you with somebody. Every day I want to talk to somebody about you. Help me to do that, Lord. Dear Jesus, I love you. I thank you for this story of Jonah. What, what a challenge it has been that we need to be on mission with you, that we need to win people to Christ, train believers to become disciples, and then send people back out into the world to make an impact. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would take this challenge seriously. Dear Lord, that we would talk to people every day about you. Help us to be faithful in doing it, and I pray, dear Lord, that you would show us the increase in the kingdom of God as we are faithful to the Great Commission. I love you. I love these people. I pray a blessing on their life, and we do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And uh, I don't know, I might call you tomorrow and ask you if you've talked to that person yet. All right.
Let's take it serious and let's do this together and just see what God does through it. Now, before you walk out the door, make sure you mask back up. When you walk out the door, the black boxes are out there. Drop your offering in the black box or you can give online at KavanaughChurch.com. Just go to that gift tab and uh, it's very easy to follow the instructions. You can give that way. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Brother Johnny is going to have the Kids Church Facebook Live. Uh, so gather your kids around, especially those of you who are watching online. Tonight, uh, your kids can see Kids Church. It's recorded from last week, but it's going to be live on Facebook tonight. And then at 6.30, we have the adult Bible study lesson. Brother Al Valentine is going to share the Word of God. I encourage you to watch that as well. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we are in person. Uh, kids are meeting in the uh, Kids Center. Uh, the teens are meeting in the big gym, and adults are in here. Each week, we've seen more and more people come back, so we're thankful for that. Be sure and pray for one another, and look for the opportunities God gives you to serve. God bless you. See you later.